the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I am Pastor Scott Furrow. Always good to be with you. We're we're together each and every day from 3 to 5 right here on the station. You can also get our podcast by going to the radio station website or go to Spotify or wherever you pick up your podcasts. Hey, um, Easter time is coming. Maybe you're thinking about inviting a friend. Maybe you're thinking about people in your life who are not believers and have some kind of argument for why they're not. Let me tell you something. You know, one of the arguments that people put out there that they'll say is against the legitimacy of Christianity is the idea that the resurrection is some kind of myth. Some people will say that the resurrection is something that resulted from maybe oral tradition or that the story changed over time. I've heard people say that the early church never believed in that, that it didn't really happen until uh, the church became the Holy Roman Empire and Constantine. People just make this stuff up all the time, right? Um, I've actually heard it taught before, taught by someone who claimed to be um, an expert that the written accounts of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course the other New Testament books, um, which reflect on those the stories of the eyewitnesses, uh, or were by eyewitnesses themselves, that they were written so far after the resurrection that all of the eyewitnesses were dead. And what I'm here to tell you is that none of that's true, and it's and you can prove it true. In fact, scholars, even even scholars who are not Christians or even atheistic scholars have to admit that uh, that sort of theory isn't true. And there's reason to believe that academically. And I, w- I want to show you what that is. And the reason I'm going to tell you this is because I think that, uh, for one thing, it helps us just have a little bit of certainty in a world where our faith gets attacked, you know. And, you know, sometimes we're attacked from things that are just. You know, maybe it's a political stance. You know, we're living in a time that people call post-Christian, right? And what is really meant by that is that the foundational beliefs of Western countries, including the United States, are being undermined now with beliefs that are, are different and uh, that that don't work, which I think we're finding out. That's why things don't really work. But if you don't uh, accept what I just said, then you're not going to, right? But uh, here's some things that I want you to know, and I don't want this to to worry you at all, but scholars, you know, who aren't even Christian will study the Bible, they will study the apostles, they will study that time period. There is a lot of things to study from different scientific disciplines that, that matter a lot uh, in this. You can join our conversation, by the way, by calling 888-528-2557. But I want to encourage you a little bit. Coming up on Easter, and you know, there's so much chaos, absolute chaos, just watching the news today, so many things that are chaotic. We need to remember that our purposes are to persuade people to the truth. And we do it first by the way we love one another. That is what Monday Thursday is about. It's Mandate Thursday. The mandate is Jesus who told us to love others as he loved him, or as uh, as he's loved us, uh, and that people will know we are his disciples by our love. That's That's what today is about. 
that we are to refocus uh, on all the things that distract us and remember that what we are taught by Jesus is to love others the way he loved us. And that people will come become Christians, people will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of our love, because of the way we love one another. That matters a lot, right? Part of loving one another, I think, is being prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. And we have a faith that is something that for 2,000 years there have been academics and smart people trying to uh, tear it down, and they've failed. Now, there have been Christian arguments that are bad. There have been theological arguments that the church has made at different times in history that are wrong, and we learn scientifically that they're wrong. For example, the you know the earth, uh, the sun does not go around the earth, and the church used to teach that. And it makes sense, really, but it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. And, you know, the church had a hard time giving that up once it was clear that the earth goes around the sun. But it makes perfect sense that, that this happens. So, Here's historically something that you should know. This is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, is important. All right, when you study what people think about the Bible, you'll find some differences of opinion, even among Christian scholars, but in the difference between Christians and non-Christians who study the documents that are the New Testament. All scholars agree that the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century. Did you know that? There's no, there's no argument about that. Paul lived in the first century, and he was a real person. And all people agree, all scholars agree, that he had an extraordinary influence on Christianity. Uh, In fact, I've heard it taught, and it's probably true, that Paul had more of an influence than anybody else. Some people would say including Jesus, which doesn't really make sense, but it makes sense maybe in in an academic sense as far as time spent, uh, that Paul had more influence than even Christ uh, as far as the spread of early Christianity. Now, uh, the thing is, is that you're not going to find scholars who who disagree with that idea. You will find people like me who would say, well, Jesus has all the influence. He's inspiring Paul, right? But if you just take the time, you know, Jesus had his ministry for three years. Paul had it for much longer than that. And Paul did all this stuff. We study Paul. A lot of our theology comes from Paul. Scholars don't disagree with that. Atheistic scholars don't disagree with that, not if they're, they're worth their salt. Paul wrote a bunch of letters. Thirteen of them were made part of the New Testament. Now, there are some scholars who think that some of those letters were ghostwritten, um, and meaning that uh, somebody wrote it on behalf of Paul. Some people would go as far as to say that Paul didn't even write some of those letters, and, uh, but there's a universal consensus about some of them. Uh, and I'm not denying that Paul wrote any of those letters, okay? I'm just letting you know what scholarship says out there, okay? Um, but almost everybody believes scholars that Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, First Thessalonians, and Philemon were written by Paul. And there's some varied debate about Ephesians and Colossians and Second Thessalonians. Some people think Paul wrote them through a ghostwriter, or they think that uh, maybe somebody who Paul licensed to write them, uh, those kinds of things. Um, but for today, I just want you to know that no one disputes that Paul wrote First Corinthians. All right, nobody is there – there is not some kind of scholarship out there that says Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians. If you hear somebody saying that, they're not studied, okay? Most scholars also agree that Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 to 33 AD as we count the years today. There, listen to this. This is important, okay? There is no credible scholar that believes that Jesus was not a historical figure. I run, in, I run into it sometimes, or there's some guy on social media saying Jesus wasn't even a real guy, all of that. No, 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 no. You need to understand, uh, 
There is no credible scholar who believes that Jesus was not a historical figure. If you hear somebody saying that, they're not a credible scholar. They're just not. The thinking is very, very clear that Jesus existed. He was a rabbi or somebody who claimed to be a rabbi, uh, and he claimed to be sent by God and that he was executed by the Romans uh, in a crucifixion. That's what people believe. Uh, that's what scholarship is, okay? So this is why this is important here. And and the answer, the question that I'm trying to answer is sometimes people object to Christianity and they'll say that the story of the resurrection is something that didn't happen or that people didn't believe in the early church. There's a lot of things like that. And we go down different roads. Like some people will say, well, the early church didn't believe that Jesus was God or that the early church didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Uh, nonsense, historically. And what I'm trying to tell you is that you should know that when people tell you that, that they don't, they're, they're making it up because modern scholarship, even non-Christian scholarship, does not dispute uh, that Jesus existed. They don't dispute that Paul existed. They don't dispute that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Now, they might dispute that Jesus rose again from the dead. That's something you got to take by faith. But they, don't also, they also don't, dis- but what they don't dispute is that the early Christians believed that. And here's one of the reasons why that's not disputed. Uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He planted the church in Corinth around between 50 AD and probably 53 AD. And if you don't, you can Google this, by the way. You can find it in non-Christian documents. If you Google it, that's what they're going to find. The 1 Corinthians, um, written around AD 55, Paul planted the church in Corinth around AD 50 to 53. Okay, this is not disputed, all right, by any reputable scholar. Now, here's 1 Corinthians. Uh, This is chapter uh, 15 in verse 1. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, what's important about this passage, and by the way, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow, and uh, it is Easter week, Holy Week, Passion Week. We're talking about an argument that tells us that the early church did, in fact, believe in the resurrected Christ, and I'm proving that to you here. And it matters because there's plenty of people who will say that Christians didn't believe that for a long time. So Paul is not disputed. It's not disputed that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians, okay? Notice he says, This is the gospel I preached to you, past tense, preached. He'd done it before, all right? Verse three, for what I received, I passed, past tense, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, see, he's telling them that he received something that he gave to them. That's that's literally the words there. For what I received, I passed on to you. He's saying, I didn't make it up. I got it from somewhere else, all right? And he's also pointing out, now this is AD 55-ish, okay, that this information has been around for a while. So this is within 20 years of Jesus, of the resurrection, okay? He's saying that the message didn't start with him. He's passing it on to them because somebody had passed it on to him. That's what this says here, all right? Um, Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, listen, listen. Nobody disputes that Jesus was executed by the Romans. There's no debate about this in, in scientific cultural debate about this, even among people who aren't Christians. The Romans executed Jesus. He was a real guy executed by the Romans. All right, what people argue about is whether or not he was raised from the dead. 
All right. So listen, listen. Paul wrote this in A.D. 55 after telling people about this. He, he's referring to telling them somewhere after A.D. 50, A.D. 53, whenever he planted the church. He's reminding them that, hey, I told you about this, you know, at the time when I planted the church, basically. This is around 20 years after the resurrection. Now, I heard somebody say this, and I think it's probably true. If you're about, if you're 25 or 30 years old, 20 years sounds like a long time ago. That seems like it's a long time. If you're 45, 55, 65 years old, 20 years ago is not a long time ago at all. It just isn't. And if you're, you know, 65, 75 years old, 20 years ago is yesterday. Okay. It's not very long. Uh, In Paul's missionary journeys that people do not deny happened, Paul had planted churches before Corinth. In 44 AD, Paul went to Cyprus and planted a church. He told those people that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he's passing it along. Uh, Acts 13, there were several people, including John Mark, who would later write the Gospel of Mark. And in AD 44, which is only 12 to 14 years, 12 to 15 years after the resurrection, uh, he's telling them this. Now listen, if you were told that the resurrection was some story that was invented later and that was never told or written about until decades later, until after all the eyewitnesses had passed away, it's not true. And modern scholarship makes it really clear that that's not true. And I'm saying this because I see this all the time. I see it on social media. I sort of do the doom scrolling sometimes, and it helps me understand where where people are coming from. So I subscribe to people who are making your religious claims, sometimes they're making Christian claims, and, and you know, I'm proud of some people for, young people in particular, for being very bold out there and putting their faith out there, and I try to help behind the scenes if they're not quite, you know, scriptural about something. This is something that we should realize that we can be encouraged by, that the evidence in history points to the fact that the early believers certainly believed that Jesus rose from the grave and that he died for their sins. That's what people believe. So we have 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that all scholars agree was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. It says that Jesus rose from the dead, written about AD 55, and he's talking about that he had already told them that a couple of years before, and now we also have another one in AD 44. Now we're only talking about 12 to 15 years, 12 or 13 years after the resurrection. All right, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Aramaic for Peter, and then to the 12. How do we know that Paul, how do we know that Jesus appeared to Peter? How did he know? How did Paul know that Jesus appeared to Peter? Because Peter told him. He met Peter. And this is in another undisputed letter by Paul where he talks about this in, in Galatians. Uh, the, Galatians 1.18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Now, listen, listen, sometimes people will say, oh, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible, and uh, that's circular reasoning. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a collection of documents, okay? These are separate documents. Each book in your Bible is a separate document that were put together later Actually, the Old Testament at this point was put together and you know, passed around together, but it, it was written over you know a thousand years, uh, fifteen hundred years. The New Testament is being put together, but it doesn't exist yet, really, at this time. But it's just a collection of documents. That's what it is. They're different documents written by different people who are eyewitnesses to this event. And it says that after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. Uh, Three years after what? This is three years after Paul's conversion, where Paul became a believer. When did that happen? 
scholars agree, around A.D. 37. Now you're within just a few years of the resurrection, seven years, maybe 10, depends on how you count them, right? Um, You're within that period of time, and you have to understand this. People were already saying, and Christians believing, that Jesus rose from the the grave, all right, Galatians 1.19, Paul says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. James, a brother of Jesus, he became a believer only after the resurrection. Did you know that? And if you are, uh, you think, if you have a sibling, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling is the son of God? It would take an awful lot. It took James a while to admit that his brother was, was the son of God, but he did. There were no believers yet at the resurrection, that happens later. Okay, they they weren't lined up at the tomb Sunday morning waiting for Jesus to come out. They didn't understand, right? There wasn't a party. They didn't have their beach chairs and blankets waiting. Nobody was there. The Gospels that were written were written later than these letters, by the way. And, you know, the people who want to say that the resurrection story came later, they'll point to the fact that the Gospels were written later. But modern scholarship, even non-Christian scholarship, has proved that notion to be wrong today. Modern scholars also say something else about Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. They're convinced that his words that he speaks in 1 Corinthians are part of an ancient creed, all right? Uh, In the first century, very few people could read or write, right? So you had poems and creeds, and that's how you did things. That's how we still do it, right? You know that song, uh, the ABC song, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know the next part, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. That's what this is. You, You... the kids don't know how to read. They don't know what this stuff is. So you teach them a little song. That's how they learn their ABCs. And now, you, now that I know my ABCs, you can sing along with me, right? That's, that's why we do that. That's what people did in a day where very few people could read or were educated. You learn songs. You learn creeds. You learned poems. You learned things that you could memorize that would help you know things, okay? So that creed in 1 Corinthians 15 is three and four. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All right. Scholars believe that, show that in Greek, it sounds like this. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That that's what people would have memorized. And when he was writing to the Corinthians, he was including this creed. And the idea is that they probably already knew it because the resurrection was already widely accepted. And some scholars believe that that verse right there referring to this creed might be the oldest piece of literature in the New Testament. And this matters a lot. So what you have to understand here is that Paul's letter was written at a time when there were still people alive who were eyewitnesses. All right? Does it prove that Jesus rose from the grave? You can't prove that. You're always going to have to take that by faith. All right, but Paul's letter is evidence that, and very good evidence, proof, if you will, that people in Jerusalem who saw that Jesus died also believed that he rose again from the dead. And you see this over and over again, men and women who seen Jesus die. Verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. The still living part. You know what Paul says to these people? And once again, nobody is disputing that Paul existed. No one's disputing that this letter is legit from Paul, 1 Corinthians. No one disputes that it was written around AD 55. Paul says, hey, if you're, not, if you're not sure, go talk to them. They're still alive. You can go ask them. All right? Paul's letter does prove that the resurrection was not a product 
of some kind of uh, change that happened later. It's just a few years after the event while eyewitnesses are still alive and still eyewitnessing, still telling their stories, right? No reputable scholar thinks that Paul's a liar in this. They think he really believed it. They might disagree. There are plenty of scholars out there and plenty of people who say, well, this didn't really happen, that Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. But there are no scholars with any legitimacy out there who think that Paul is just making this up. They believe that he believed it, even if they don't agree with the story, right? Because if you believe that Paul was making it up, if you believe that he knew he was lying, then you have to believe that he left a life of wealth, that he left a life of of power, of political power, of prestige, a life of comfort to teach a message that would get him stoned, imprisoned, chased out of town, and ultimately killed. You know, people people only do that when they believe something. Uh you might say, well, he's crazy, but his letters are sophisticated and they make a great case. He clearly has his mind. This is so important as we think about this, and this is so important to point us to the resurrection. Our faith is based on the resurrection, not on a story that was invented later by the apostles. It was based on an event that happened, a resurrection that was witnessed by hundreds of people who went on to tell that story, many of them went to their deaths. Many of them left lives of wealth and prestige and safety for lives of danger and poverty and persecution. You don't do that for something that you know to be a lie. See, and only a resurrection could explain the courage of what these people did. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is none other than the name, no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. This was preached when they saw, this was preached by Peter, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. My friends, you know, why is there even an argument? Why why do people even say, well, this was something made up later? Here's why. Because if it's true, if there is a resurrection, It means something that you have to reconcile in your life. It means that there is a God, that there is a God who loves you, and that there is a God who wants you to love him back, and there is a God who took your sin and your guilt and your spiritual angst and your your concerns and your fears about death, and he says all those things are resolved at the cross. And the proof is a resurrected Jesus. Death is lost. You have victory through Christ. That is our story and you can't unwrite it. You can't say that that didn't happen historically. It did. People believed it. I'm telling you that because I hope it encourages you in your own faith, but also in case you're dealing with somebody, it's Easter, maybe you're inviting, who just kind of makes up stuff and says, ah, the apostles made that up, or oh, this wasn't created till years later. They're wrong. You need to know that they're wrong, and the evidence says that they're wrong. Well, I read it on the internet. There's all kinds of things you can read on the internet. People make stuff up all the time. But scholarly work, even non-Christian scholarly work, although many will not agree that Jesus rose from the grave, okay, they will agree that Jesus was a real person who was claiming to be a Jewish rabbi who was executed by the Romans, and that Paul was a real guy who planted these churches, who wrote 1 Corinthians and other books, and that the early Christian church clearly believed that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that is modern scholarship. It's written in the time of eyewitnesses. It was not something made up later. See, the place of faith is, do you believe that it really happened? Something happened because those fishermen, those people, they changed the world. 
the whole world after that. I got to take a break. This is Southern California Live. I'm curious to what your Easter is like. Do you have an Easter uh, tradition that you want to share? Something you're excited about for this Easter? Give me a call now. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. Pastor Scott Furrow will be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. In California Live, Pastor Scott Furrow with you. Hey, uh, are you ready for Easter? What is your favorite Easter tradition? You know, is there something that you do as a family, something that you really look forward to? Favorite meal? Is it always ham or is it something else? Seems like Easter is ham for a lot of people. I think it is for us, which is a reminder. I need to get the ham out of the freezer. I think we bought it a while ago because Christy likes to get stuff when it's on discount, right? And she'll go, the hams are on sale now. We're getting the Easter ham now. And it might be January 2nd or something. But uh, she'll go because after the post-Christmas, right, they got to get rid of their extra ham. So you buy it is a little bit cheaper. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how we uh, how we work it out. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. One of my uh, Easter things, it's not really uh, spiritual here, but uh, that I just love are those Cadbury cream eggs. You know those things? I Those things, there's like a shortage of them this year. Did you know that? Like, it's kind of funny because we had a real egg shortage, and now this year there's a Cadbury cream egg shortage, I think. You can't find them in many places, which is really good for me because I can't resist them. It's like kryptonite for me. They they are so good. I mean, the tiny ones. The tiny ones are fine, but they always kind of break in that sticky goo that's in the middle. It gets all over your fingers, and it's hard to peel the paper off, and it's a pain. I mean, like the regular ones, the Cadbury eggs that are the regular size that come out around every Easter time. And then, you know, after Sunday, there'll be a few left here and there if you can find them, but you got to buy them because they're going to go out. Well, I looked into it a little bit is that why, why are there fewer of these eggs? And apparently, I don't know if this is the reason for sure, but Subway, that the sandwich place, is making a chocolate sandwich that includes those Cadbury cream eggs for Easter. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm I'm thinking, oh, that you you may not survive. Like you're going to be glad that Jesus rose from the grave because you're going to meet him after eating that sandwich. You ever eat one of those eggs? It's not like you can pop three or four of them in your mouth and just eat them. If you eat one. You know, it's time for a nap. That's what they do. And uh, I think they're fabulous. Some people hate them, but uh, I think they're fabulous. They're so good that Subway has made a bizarre sandwich with a Cadbury cream egg filling for Easter. And uh, it's going to be launched tomorrow, apparently. Now, perhaps it's only in uh, England. That's one place that I'm I'm seeing this here. Um, And so I'm not sure if you're going to have the privilege of having the Subway uh, Cadbury cream egg sandwich. I'm looking at a picture of it here online. The picture of it, it shows the sandwich like on the the Italian bread that they make at their at the subway and it's like grilled. And all the chocolate and stuff is just oozing out of the side of it. <laughs> and uh you know, it's probably a, another argument for uh the decline of western civilization. The fact that this is a thing that it's not just something that somebody thought about. But it's something that somebody went to the leadership at uh, Subway and said, hey, I got an idea. 
And I think what we should do, you know, we're known for healthy sandwiches, right? We're known for uh, giving people an option for freshness and things like that. You know, I think we should throw all that out the window. What I think we should do is go find the most unhealthy Easter candy there is and put it between two slices of white bread and, and melt it down and serve a chocolate sandwich. And uh, apparently they, they went for it. And uh, this article I'm reading about, it says all the team at Subway are especially excited to see how those Subway fans with the sweet tooth respond to this delicious sub melt. <laughs> you know what? Uh, forget about healthy sandwiches. We're going to we're going to do this. I think that's brilliant. And then, and, you know, what kind of a salesperson has to do that? That's maybe the biggest um, the biggest sales argument that's been heard since somebody came up and said, the Nutella people said, let's convince people that spreading chocolate on toast is healthy. And uh, they won that argument, too. Like, oh, you know what? Uh, let's not put butter on toast or cream cheese or jams or jellies. Let's put chocolate on it. Let's call it Nutella, but it's chocolate. It's, you know, it's, it's what it is. Well, I'm sure it has some, some kind of nuts in it. I mean, somebody argued that, and we bought it. As a culture, we bought it. We're like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, one time, uh, my kids came home. They were, they were with a friend. And if you're listening, you know, we, we love you. But they came home throwing up from some trip at the beach. And we're trying to figure out what in the world happened. And they were eating Nutella sandwiches. Would you like peanut butter and jelly, ham and cheese, or a chocolate sandwich? I think that uh, maybe the guy who works for Subway used to work for Nutella. He's just pitching the same argument out there. Would you eat that? The Cadbury cream egg sandwich? If you eat the uh, chocolate Nutella toast, I bet you would. All right, 888-528-2557. It is Easter. Do you have any Easter traditions that you like? You can give me a call and uh, and check it out. We've been talking about making an argument, too, for things. You know, I always think about that. These guys who sell this stuff, you know, whoever convinced Subway to go for this? You know, brilliant salespeople, right? There are people who accuse Christians uh, or the idea of Christianity, an objection to Christianity, that certain things were just made up over time. And there's different people who say all kinds of things. And you would have to be a pretty good salesperson, really, to to convince people that a guy rose from the grave, and particularly at a time when they can just go to the grave and find out, right, that it's the, as we proved in the last segment, the early church, they knew where Jesus was buried. Like they knew. You could go, if, if somebody said he'd risen— I'll bet there were plenty of people who were like, no, I know where he was buried. I'm going to go right to that tomb right now. And they said, no, the the stones rolled away. And like, no, come on. But you go over there and you see it. And sure enough, the stone is rolled away. Nobody's in there. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea is, you know, trying to get his tomb back or something. Did he have to put a down payment down with somebody and get his money back after Jesus left? He probably had some kind of uh, paperwork to do. I mean, there was a thing, right? But people could prove it then. And in the meantime, for you know, a while, Jesus is walking around, and he saw 500 people at one time. Uh, that's amazing. And we know that that's what the early Christians believed. And there wasn't some salesperson who was just super smart who came up with this. You know, uh, the Babylon Bee people, you know who they are? It's kind of a uh, satire newspaper. They do a lot of news, but there's a lot of Christian stuff in there. It's, it comes from a Christian background. Their church stuff is hilarious that they do. And this is some audio from a video that they put out. The purpose of this video is, um, the idea is, let's go to the scene where the disciples decided to make up the story about the resurrection. And this must have been what it sounded like. I need 100% participation for this to work. Yeah, everyone's here. All 12, 11. 
Eleven of us. Well, what's the plan? Well, as you know, Jesus is dead. But stick with me, stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I have a plan. We are going to steal his body. Okay, okay, I'm tracking with you. What's next? And then we're going to tell the whole world that you rose from the dead. Oh, okay. oh you know I'm in. I love it already. <laughs> all right, classic, classic. Then what? And then we're all going to get brutally murdered. Oh! That is from uh, the Babylon Bee, and they did this whole video where the disciples are around, the 11 of them who are left, and saying, we're going to make the story up that Jesus rose from the grave. And then it keeps coming back to this theme of them all getting excited because they all know that the result of this lie would be that they're all going to get brutally murdered. And then they cheer about it as if that's something that would really happen. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Come again. Come again. Could you go over that last part real, real quick? Oh, what? We get murdered. What's the problem? Uh, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, Pete. I love me a good hoax as much as the next guy, right? Right? Uh, uh, what's in it for us? Do we all get riches, fame, and fortune first, right? No, no, get this. You're going to be hated, hated. persecuted, and reviled for the rest of your life! Oh! It's hilarious. Uh, Babylon B, the disciples coming up with the plot to uh, invent the story of the resurrection uh, to their own doom. And uh, it goes on like that. It's just a lesson for you to think about when people tell you, you know, that these people just made it up. Uh, People do not make up stories and then get brutally murdered for something that they know for a fact was a lie. They just don't. Uh, they do not get crucified for things that they know for a fact would be a lie. They do not lose everything that they have for something that they know to be a lie. But if you saw Jesus raised from the dead, if you knew that the story was true, and if you understood the importance of it, which they did, uh, you would tell that story. And you would go to your death telling that story because you know it's not just important for you, but it's important for every single person to hear this message of Christ. That's what this week is about. That's what Sunday is about. And everybody you know needs to hear that story. All right, we're going to take a break. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. Pastor Scott Furrow will be back as the Thursday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. What are your Easter traditions? We only have a few minutes left of today's show, and uh, we've been having a good time today talking about uh, some fun and also some reasons to believe that your faith is real. And, you know, I think that we live in a time where maybe as Christians we are a little bit beaten down by the changes that uh, we've been experiencing in the world today, and I I just want to say don't worry about it. Don't worry about the idea when you hear that maybe fewer people are coming to the Lord. Uh, You know, that's it's not really true. It just means that I think that there's really a lot more of the idea that people are more, in some ways, more honest about what they really think. And what I'm talking about is the idea that you hear a lot in, in statistics and studies that more, fewer and fewer Americans identify as Christians, and that number's down to 65% or something like that. And the idea is that uh, I think one poll even had it at 49% this year. 
and oh my gosh, we are you know some kind of religious minority now as as Christians. You know, the truth is is that's been that way for a long time. It's just that what's changed in our culture is that people no longer feel like they have to pick a side. Does that make sense? It, people no longer feel like that they have to mark the Christian box, and if they're not really a Christian, they're more comfortable saying I'm I'm nothing. And the thing is about that is is we should take that for what it is and go, well, that's more honest than saying you're a Christian, but you don't really believe it. And I think that that's good. We want to know authentically where people are. I think that's not a bad thing. And I think that's it's really not much different today. I think that there are a lot of people on those surveys for years who've claimed to be Christian, but really they were just born into it or they went as a kid or they were maybe baptized into it or something. And they just said that but never really went to church, never really accepted Christ on their own. And I think now people have a, a sense that it's okay to deny that. Um, it's not okay to deny that, but it's okay to tell the truth about it if you, in fact, deny that. And so that's not bad. Um, be encouraged. We have a lot of work to do. We need to be in the world that, you know, we need to live in the world where we, we live. And in church, that's something I would encourage you to do this Easter, is is think about this. If you're inviting a friend, and I hope that you do, invite someone to church, but make sure that you connect with them. You know, ride with them or pick them up or make sure you meet with them beforehand. Make sure you meet with them afterward for sure. Ask them what they thought. Ask them what they thought about church. You know, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. You know, was it relevant? You know, what did you get out of it? Did you, what did you think? Those questions are really good ones to ask. A friend of mine is a church consultant. You know, he goes into churches and sometimes churches will hire people to say, can you help us see what we don't see, right? Can you help us see why our ministry doesn't seem effective anymore? It used to be effective, but it doesn't seem like it's effective now. And some of those guys do a really good job. And this guy, what he does is he goes into a church and he gets everybody together and he says, and the first question he asks the church is this. He says, what year is it here? And people kind of chuckle a little bit, but he says, no, I'm really serious. What year do you think it is here? What year are you creating ministry for? And he says, you know what? Some churches are still in the 1940s. He says a lot of them are in the the 70s. He said there's a lot of wood paneling, literally and figuratively, on the wall in a lot of ministries out there. And there's a lot that are in the 80s and 90s. And he said the, the interesting thing about life today, church life today, and anything in life today, actually, is that what used to maybe be, you know, 10 years of effectiveness of doing something a certain way went down to seven, and now it's probably even less than that, that if you haven't really taken a look at at your effectiveness in ministry together in um, the last three or four years, especially now because of the COVID, I mean, everything is really different. It's, it is an earthquake uh, that has happened in the last couple of years in the culture. And that if we haven't responded to that, not just sort of organizationally as a church, but as individuals, right, in the way that we understand what's happening in the world, then it's going to be harder to minister. And the best way to figure that out is really to talk to your non-Christian friends who you invite to church and say, you know what, hey, what did you think about that? Let's see what they think. You might be surprised at what they they asked. There used to be a pastor somewhere in Texas, and he had a habit of hiring atheists to come to his church. And he'd pay him $25 to sit through the church service, and then he'd interview them afterward and say, how did that come across to you? 
you know, of course he had a goal that they would hear the gospel and get saved and he would want that. But the bigger part of his goal was to say, I want to know what this sounds like to the friends that people bring. I want to know, are we communicating in a way that is clear to the non-believer who shows up? And it was a super helpful thing that he did. I don't think your pastor needs to go hire somebody. I think that we just need to invest in the people that God has placed in our lives and not be afraid to hear from them, and especially if they say, you know, your church didn't really answer questions that I'm asking. You know, Easter is a really good one for that. It's a simple gospel that we have, but sometimes things get in the way. You know, it would be interesting to know from people that I might go to church with, what did you think? Did you understand the gospel? Was it clear? Was there something that would have been a better way? Was there something that was confusing to you? It's perfectly fine to ask those questions. What is hard is when you get an answer that is uncomfortable, an answer that you don't like, you know, an answer that is like, well, uh, you know, and, and, you know, this thing on the wall, you know, I didn't understand what it was, or this part of the service uh, seemed contradictory to what it is that you're doing, right? Sometimes people say things and you really have to wrestle with it because they might be wrong, but they also might be right. And in their rightness, they're saying, this is something you should no longer do. And that's, that's where churches struggle because it's really hard to change. It's really hard to adapt to a culture that today is not eager to pretend that they're Christian if they're not. And that actually is a good thing. You don't want people to pretend. You don't want to be fooled, right? If there's somebody that you know and love and they don't really believe in Jesus, they don't, you know, they don't really care. You don't want them to be telling you that they do. And then you just, you don't worry about your testimony with them. You don't worry about their faith because you think, oh, they go to church. They must believe. You want them to say, hey, as painful as it might be, you want them to say, hey, uh, I don't buy this stuff. This, this matters a lot. And I think what you're going to find from a lot of people today is they may not care that much about how you do church. They might care a lot less about it than you think. They care about how they're treated. I was on Twitter the other day, and there is somebody who is super depressed. Um, and, you know, this person is somebody who was trans and going that direction, but now they're detransitioning. And one of the things that's hard for people who are detransitioning is that they lose the community that they had whenever they decided to become trans, right? So there's there's a lot of medical reasons. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of uh, anger. There's a lot of frustration. And in this particular case, this person said, wrote this tweet and said, I'm not a Christian and I don't believe in your Jesus. And they were kind of harsh about it. But they said, but I'll tell you this. The only people on this app giving me love are the Christians right now. And I thought, hooray, that is what it should be. Because there's a lot of Christians on there who have a lot of, you know, kind of angry things to say about the the trans situation. And we have to learn, I think, to distinguish between the the individual person and what they're probably going through and the kind of care and love that they need versus transgenderism, which is a philosophy that is about forcing people to believe things that's not true, and it forces people to do things uh, to themselves that are not true. That's why this person was bitter, right? But there was this moment where the Christians on this person's feed were responding with so much love with, and I read all these things, and it was just very, very good. That's how we should be. And you can do that and at the same time speak out against things that are wrong in the culture. But you have to remember that there's always a person behind all of this. There's always a feeling uh, individual 
behind the rhetoric, behind the stories, behind the politics. And the way that we convince people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, according to Jesus, is if we love one another as ourselves. If we follow the new commandment that Jesus gives us, to love other people as he has loved us. That's what today is about in Holy Week, by the way. You maybe heard it Monday Thursday. It means mandate Thursday. The mandate is that. The mandate is to love others the way Jesus loves, loved us. And then Jesus says that people will know you are my disciples by our love. That's what today is about. And it's a good question to ask yourself. Do the people in my life know that I'm a disciple of Jesus because of my love? And maybe if you bring someone to church, you know, ask them that question. You know, do we seem Christian to you? You know, what's the answer? They might say, uh, I don't know if I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, but I'll tell you what, I, was, I felt loved by your, your church, or I feel loved by you, or I feel cared about. They may not say loved, but they might say cared about. I think you really care. We might disagree, but I think that you're authentic. Uh, that, is, that is where we have our, our best input. That is where we have permission to speak out about issues that are philosophical or political or policy-wise things that need to be changed because they hurt people, because they harm people. You know, at some point you're not loving at all by not saying something, but you can say it in a loving way. But you always got to think about that individual. Can I encourage you to do that, to love others as Jesus has loved you? That's self-sacrificially. Sometimes that self-sacrifice is just to say, how am I doing as a Christian? What was your experience when I brought you to church? And sometimes that answer is painful, but you know what? Sometimes that answer is wonderful because that answer is, you know what? I think I believe in your Jesus now. I learned that he died for my sins, and I learned that he loves me and that I'm made in the image of God. And then it becomes the most wonderful conversation. It's the reason you were born, and it's worth all of it. So do that, my friends. All right, tomorrow, Good Friday. I'll be with you for Good Friday from 3 to 5 here on Southern California Live. And big announcement tomorrow also on the show. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.